Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We're going to continue, actually going to finish our resurrecting series today and talk about resurrecting hope. I'm going to get into this pretty fast and I'm going to be a little more topical than I usually am, which means for the first half anyway, I'm kind of going to bounce all over scripture because I need to prove something to you. But before I do that, I just want to talk to you about, about today. About the resurrection. About the fact that Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. The fact that Jesus Christ is making an intercession for us, having completed every work he was given, sitting at the right hand of the Father, because he loves us gave us the ability to come boldly into his throne room of grace, expecting us or allowing us to receive mercy in our time of need. He ripped the veil from top to bottom so that now there is no more separation between us and God. We can stand literally within the Holy of Holies by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ Jesus, not because of what we did, not because we earned it or because we deserved it. In fact, that's absolutely not true. That's the opposite of true, but because Jesus Christ put the work in. And man, if that doesn't excite us, I don't know what should excite us because all of those things together mean one thing, that we will see no death. There will be no sting for us. Death has no victory over us. And for that, we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And so, that's what we hope to do today. But can I tell you, all the stuff that Jesus did, everything He said, every message He taught, every authority that He carried, every miracle He performed, would have meant nothing were it not for the resurrection. I want to tell you that again because it's going to mess some of y'all up. His sacrifice, his life, his teachings, his authority would mean nothing if it weren't for the resurrection. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It is the pinnacle from which we hang our belief in Christ Jesus upon. And some of y'all are going to say, well, the cross is, the cross is what we should be hanging our, our hopes on. In fact, it is. But you know why it is? It is because the resurrection happened. If the resurrection didn't happen, it's just some guy that hung on a cross saying he was something that he actually wasn't, which means that Jesus would have been a lunatic and a liar. And when we, since we know the resurrection did happen, he's neither of those things. He is, in fact, the Son of God capable of bringing salvation to us through the work of the cross. Why do we celebrate resurrection? Not because resurrection saves us. Resurrection does not save us. Hear me, please. Resurrection proves that Jesus saved us, that the work of the cross was valid and valuable and capable of saving us. 
that everything that he endured, everything that he said, every step he took on earth out of heaven, everything that he did, born of a virgin, was done for one singular purpose, to declare the kingdom of God and give us access to it. But without the resurrection, it would have meant nothing. He would have been just like Buddha. He would have just been just like Muhammad. He would have been like 1,400 other religions in the world that don't have an alive Savior right now. Christianity, I am proud to say, has a Savior that is alive that he is not dead, that he will never die, that he is eternal. And because he is eternal and the work that he's done and the access he's given to us, we shall be eternal with him. That he's coming back for us, that he hasn't forgotten us, that he determined to pour his love out on us while we were still sinners. All of these things are true, proven in the resurrection. Man, that's so good. We should be super excited about that because this life is the worst. Amen? My wife and I have been talking about cultivating joy lately. Because it's easy to be negative. Would you agree that it's easy to be negative in this world? And you see stuff going on, and you watch the news, and you do you just go anywhere. Drive down the street, somebody cuts you off. It's easy to get fussy. you got to cultivate, like every other spiritual fruit, you have to cultivate joy. And the best way to cultivate joy is to recognize that you're not going to be in this forever. That in fact, Jesus Christ died, rose again, and sits at the right hand of the Father so that we can spend eternity with Him in an absolute perfect peace and place. That's how we cultivate joy. But I want to talk about the resurrection hope. The hope that we have in our resurrection. The resurrection, like I said, is the, is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. It proves that death has no hold on us. It proves that death was destroyed. It proves that Jesus Christ paid the ransom for us. It proves that he destroyed the temple in three days and raised it back up again. And it proves that we now, as believers, even now, have been resurrected in our spirit man, waiting for our eternal man. So what is our resurrected hope? I submit to you that our resurrected hope is Christ Jesus. If you don't hear me say anything else, any hope that you have rests solely and foundationally on Christ Jesus. Every every person in Scripture understood this truth both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, with the early church fathers and even today. I'm going to spend a little time in the Word. I'm going to flip back and forth, so if you want to take notes, I want to prove to you one thing. 
that the resurrection isn't a New Testament idea. It certainly wasn't an after-Jesus'-death idea. Because if it was just an after-Jesus'-death idea, then you could argue, well, they had to come up with some excuse as to why Jesus' body wasn't there. This is an Old Testament belief, a New Testament belief, and a now belief. Amen? So let me, let me peruse the Scripture with you for a moment. First of all, I want to say, the resurrection is the hope of all who came before and after Christ. Let me prove it to you first in Job. Job 19, starting in 23. These are some of my favorite Scriptures and or text in the, in the Old Testament. It starts like this. It says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That what an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in a rock forever. That's a fancy way of saying, Listen, son, I'm about to tell you something. He's talking to his friend who's been discouraging him the whole time. He said, I'm about to tell you something. And I want you to remember it. I wish I could write it down. I wish I could take a lead stylus and carve it in stone so that you'd have to look at what I'm about to tell you forever. So if your faith ever gets shaken again, you'll be able to go back to this writing and see that what I'm telling you is true. He says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Now we know we're talking about who? We're talking about Job. Job sitting on an ash pile covered in sores, surrounded by friends that aren't really his friends. Got a nagging wife. Just curse God and die so I can find me a new husband. I don't know if she said that last part, but I'm sure she went out and found a new husband. Lost all of his kids, all of his possessions, lost everything. And Job's response is to say, I don't care about that. That's, that's the least of my concerns. You know why? Because my Redeemer lives. And I don't know about your text, but my text has a capital R there. That means my Redeemer, my Christ Jesus. He didn't know the name of Christ probably, but he knew that there was a Redeemer coming for him. And he said, my Redeemer lives, and at, at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Ain't that the truth? Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. What is he saying? He said, even when I'm dead and gone, even when I've turned back to dirt, back to dust, in my glorified body, in my resurrected self, I shall see God. He was taking personal ownership of the victory that he knew was coming, regardless of his circumstance. Let me tell you, that ought to bring us some joy today. That ought to bring us some hope today. That ought to bring us some peace today. That it doesn't matter what's going on. If you're not sitting on an ash heap, if you're not covered with sores, if you haven't lost everything you have, if all your family hasn't been killed, if you don't have a nagging wife, you should be able to say this. Because he had all of those things and still said them. All right. Amen. But he says, yet for my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Do you know what he means by that? 
My heart faints within me what all of us should say when we're talking about this. This excites me so much, I think I could just pass out. You hear people talk about the resurrection and the hope that they have in Christ Jesus, and they're humdrum about it. They, they seem kind of vanilla about it, like they don't care about it, like it's not that big a deal. Let me tell you, every time you talk about the work that Jesus Christ did on your behalf, the fact that your Redeemer lives, and even after you're dead and gone, and people have forgotten your name, if Jesus doesn't come back first, every time you talk about that, you should get a little bit fuzzy, a little bit woozy. You should get a little bit faint, weak in the knees. Your head should start spinning because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life so that we might be resurrected in eternity with him. Guys, this is what our whole faith hangs on. Everything I say all year, it comes to this point that Jesus, having been resurrected, causes us to say it doesn't matter what happens. My Redeemer lives. Oh, it's so good. Not only Job, though, the psalmist David has a little something to say about this. In Psalms 21, 3 and 4, he said, For you meet him, and him is um, king, the heart of the king, with the blessings of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. Did you catch that? For you meet him with the blessings of good things. Any of you guys ever been blessed with good things? He set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you. If you've, if you've been given your life to the Lord, that's exactly what you've done. Don't just give me life. Give me life. Give me your life. Give me that supernatural, abundant, overflowing, joyful, spirit-filled and led life. Give me life. And the psalmist says, and he gave it to you forever and ever. I don't think that's a, a statement of hyperbole. I don't think he's trying to exaggerate. I think he's saying, literally, I'm going to have this life that I've asked for forever and ever and ever and ever and ever because God is faithful when we ask him for life. But not just the psalmist David, but Peter in 1 Peter 1 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A couple of things I want you to pay attention to here. He gives praise to God for Jesus who because of his great mercy, not because of something that we did, not because of some merit that we earned, some favor that we deserve, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You know what our living hope is? It's our eternity. It's our hope that we will live forever in Christ Jesus. 
through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Because This is pretty simple, really. Because Christ Jesus did, plus I put my faith in him, equals I will. I'm not trying to do anything, but get you guys excited about the fact that God loves you enough to send his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should have ever should should not perish but have everlasting life everlasting life everlasting life everlasting life i feel like i could say it over and over and over again can we just get excited that god loves you enough that he didn't have to he could have killed us decided to move on create something newer better prettier probably but he didn't he said i love these people and i'm going to focus my love on these people and i'm going to do what's necessary to redeem these people and I'm not just going to redeem them for their life. I'm going to redeem them for eternity. And I'm going to do it by offering them hope through the resurrection of my son, Christ Jesus. Whew. To obtain an inheritance so that they might have an inheritance, so that we might have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Resurrection Sunday. Imperishable, it's not going away. Undefiled, there's no evil or unjust in it. And it will not fade away. It's not going anywhere. That which God gives you in eternity will be with you in eternity for all time. reserved in heaven for you but not just peter y'all man you're reading a lot of verses we get it can we just enjoy the scripture today man i i had i started to write a, a very fancy theological sermon and i was all let's just read the word because the word's important it's the only thing we got anyway so it's not just peter though it's Paul. Paul says we would have gained nothing if Jesus' resurrection wasn't true. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 20, 12 through 20 reads like this. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And then he throws out some rhetorical questions. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, or some rhetorical statements, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. So what are we preaching for? If Jesus is just some dude like Muhammad or Buddha is what he's saying, if Jesus is still in the grave, why are we wasting our time? Why have we inconvenienced ourselves? Why did all 12 or all or 11 of the 12 apostles die horrific deaths? Because one of them didn't. They just died of old age. Why? If Jesus didn't, wasn't raised from the dead. Because their preaching would have been in vain. And their faith would have also been in vain. I don't know about you, but my faith is not in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we testified against God that he raised God whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead were not raised. 
So he's saying if Jesus wasn't raised and you tell people he's raised, which we've been doing our whole life, then we're liars. Guys, I'm not a liar. Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you today, is in heaven today. And at some point in my future, I'm going to be in heaven with him. You are going to be in heaven with him if you've given your life to the Lord. I'm going to interject. You're not if you don't. There's an eternity waiting for everyone. That's the only sure thing. Where will your, where will your eternity be? Where is your faith? If your faith is in the resurrection because of the work of Christ Jesus, then your preaching is not in vain. That's what he's saying. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Those are fighting words. You are still in your sin. Y'all, wait a minute. Can't be. The new covenant was established in Jesus' blood. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Is the shedding of blood that causes the remission of sins. And so I can't be still in my sins just because there's no resurrection. Yes, you can. Because if there was no resurrection, as he promised as I started, then he was never God in the first place. And he was just some other dude bleeding. He was a lunatic at best. But we know that's not true. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. We have, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And I think that's exactly right. You know my greatest fear? I've got two of them. I'll be honest with you. Let me give you the lesser one first. My lesser fear is that one day I'm going to be so old that young men are no longer going to see me dangerous. That's the truth. Angel will tell you that. I tell her all the time. My... My, my second greatest fear is that young men aren't going to think I'm dangerous anymore. Well, let me tell you, I'm not there yet. So, you know. but, but my second biggest fear would be that if Jesus Christ didn't exist, I would stop living when I took my last breath. But I'm glad I don't have to worry about that. Just let that fear brush on by. So really, just watch out, young guys. That's all I'm saying. And then this. But now Christ has been raised. He said all these reasons, if Christ hasn't been raised, all these horrible things are true. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. You know what that means? First fruits is the very first pick of the crop that is to come. Jesus Christ is the first pick of the crop of resurrection from the same field you'll be plucked out of. That's the blessing and the hope of the resurrection. And I praise God that he loves me enough to send his son Jesus that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can't remember if I've quoted that verse in this sermon or not, so I figured I'd get it out of the way. I'm going to. 
but not just Paul, but Christ himself. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Did you hear that? And he began to teach them, that's Jesus, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chiefs and scribes, be killed, and after three days, rise again. You know what I love about this verse? One word in the next verse. Plainly. He said he was stating this matter plainly. He wasn't trying to hide the truth from them. He wasn't trying to use big words. He was just saying, listen, a time's coming when I'm going to have to suffer, when I'm going to have to die, when I'm going to be rejected. But there's also a time coming after three days that I'll rise again to prove to you that I am exactly who I say that I am so that you can have the comfort to know that you are exactly who I've said that you are. Isn't that beautiful? I'm just trying to build your faith today. But before there was a resurrection, before all of these words mean anything, there was a cross. I've said a couple of things today that if you weren't paying attention, you'd think I was minimizing the work of the cross. I'm not. For it is by the work of the cross that we are saved by faith. God extended grace to us, which we received by faith through the work of Jesus Christ, His Son. That His body was crushed to appease God's wrath. That His blood was shed for the remission of our sins and to bring us into covenant with Him. All the pain, all the torture, the suffering, the struggle. Everything he endured before and during the cross, he did to get to that resurrection place. To show us that we have one responsibility. To preach Christ. What are you doing with the fact that you've been called to a resurrected life? Are we going to leave other people in their unresurrected state? How will they know unless someone tell them? What would they tell them? They would only be able to tell them the truth that we were sinners. We're all sinners. We're all sinners by birth and by action. If you never physically sinned in your whole life because of the sin in you passed down from Adam, you would still be deserving of hell, rebellious before a divine God. It's the very nature of who we are. You're all, that's not fair. You know what's not fair? What's not fair is that God had to send His Son Jesus to die for us so we wouldn't go to the hell that we deserve. That's what's not fair. 
but we're all sinners and falling short of the glory of God. That's what you tell them. Because we deserve eternal death. But he sent his son Jesus that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And all that we have to do to become the righteousness of Christ, of God in Christ, is to confess our yielding to him. I like Romans 10, 9. I quote these three verses all the time to you. Not because I think you're stupid. Not because I think you can't remember them. But because I want to make sure that you do know them. Because if you know these three verses, Romans 3.23, John 3.16, and Romans 10.9, you can declare the gospel, that you were a sinner, that God created a solution for that through Christ Jesus, and how to acquire that promise. And that promise is Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen to me. If you confess with your mouth, which means if you make an intellectual decision to accept his work on your behalf while submitting him while submitting to him in obedience you will be saved cuz that's what lordship is people are killing me right now you know what i man i love my bible except for page 783, it's got some stuff I don't like in it. I'm going to take that out of there. Except for 647, he's asked a little too much. He didn't ask you your life. He didn't hang you from a cross. He earned this place of Lord. We should give it to him. Amen? So we declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, moves us out of our intellect and into our heart to know that we know from a state of repentance to move that information, the 18 inches from our intellect to our heart, to know that we know that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, because he was raised from the dead, I shall be raised from the dead too. That's what that confession is. This is all that we have. And we shall be saved. What did I want to tell you? I wanted to tell you that Jesus is our resurrected hope. The second thing I want to tell you, I'm going to go through it pretty quickly, perhaps. is that our resurrected hope should be resurrecting some things in us. Who's our resurrected hope? Anybody? Jesus. Jesus is our resurrected hope. And because He's our resurrected hope, He should be resurrecting some things in us. Can I explain to you some of those things? Matthew chapter 28, 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other women came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. 
and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he was raised from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them and came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. It's four things his resurrection should be resurrecting in us. First thing is commitment. This Mary and these other Marys and these other women were committed. They woke up early. They gathered the spices necessary to anoint their Jesus. I am fully convinced that they, were, they, they believed Jesus was still in the tomb. They were ignorant, but they were committed. They wanted to love Jesus one more time. And so in a time when the rest of the apostles were hiding, these women in a patriarchal society decided to go with their self and pray that they'd be able to find a way to get in there and serve their master one more time. They were committed. Our commitment should be resurrected in us. No matter what happens, no matter what could happen, no matter what we may be subjected to, our responsibility is to be committed enough to get to Jesus The second thing that needs to be committed in us or that needs to be resurrected in us is fear. The angel rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, side note, but to let them in. And it says the guards were so scared, they were so fearful, they fell down, passed out as, they were, as though they were dead. And the women were fearful. Why were they fearful? For the incredible thing that they saw there. The reflection of God in the angel's face. The white robe, the purity, the holiness, the Shekinah glory of God on this angel caused them to do what all of us should do. Reverence God. One of the greatest problems the church has right now is we've lost our reverence for God. We've lost our ability to realize that it ain't about us. It's about Him. And let me tell you, those people that fear God, truly fear God and are committed to Him, God reveals Himself to. That's exactly what happened. The angel said, go tell everybody. And Jesus met them. Our worship should be resurrected in us. What did it say? Did they jump around? Did they, they run off scared? It said no. They fell at his feet and worshipped him. Commitment. Reverence. 
worship. And finally, our resurrected hope builds our hope. Jesus told them, go, tell my brothers I'll see them. That's us. That's not just us. That's our responsibility. Go, tell my brothers I will see them. Because if he's our hope, he wants to be their hope too.